welcome to Tomorrow is Yesterday, the Star Trek podcast, the show where we review every episode of Star Trek in production order. My name is Brandon Couch, and with me, as always, introduce yourself, David. Uh, since you just introduced me by my first name, my name is David Moss, and that's it. That's it. We're done. That's a wrap. If we're done. No, okay, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, today we're talking about Mud's Women. This is a rough one, guys. Or Mud's Girls, as I like to call it. All right, first aired on October 13th, 1966. Directed by Harvey Hart, teleplayed by Stephen Candell, and story by Gene Roddenberry. Okay. Let's get into our cast. And as I like to do, I'm going to give you the cast, the character they're playing, and I'm going to tell you the most recent thing they acted in. Okay. So we have Roger C. Carmel as Harcourt Fenton Mud, whose last role was in an episode of DuckTales. And I learned that he did a lot of voice work on Transformers over the years. Hey, I've heard of both of those things. I think this is the first actor I've actually heard of, like, heard of what he's played in. <laughs> yeah, he played Cyclonus on Transformers over the years. Yeah, I don't know any of the Transformers names besides uh, Optimus Prime. I don't know. You just know Optimus Prime. And uh, the B guy. Autobots roll out. Decepticons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have Karen Steele as Eve McCurron, whose last role was the 1972 film Trap on Cougar Mountain. Hmm, I don't know that one. Me neither. I think it's safe to say that neither of us are going to have heard of any of the rest of these. Okay. All right, we have Maggie Threat as Ruth, whose last role was in an episode of Run Joe Run. I've heard of that. No, oh, have you? <laughs> We have Susan Denberg as Magda, who most recently played Christina in the 1967 film Frankenstein Created Woman. Never heard of that. Okay, I've probably heard of that because it's a Frankenstein movie. <laughs> We've got Jim Goodwin as Lieutenant John Farrell, whose last role was pool attendant in the 1979 film Marciano. Uh, nope, but I do know a guy named Jim Goodwin. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Gene Dinarski, I probably butchered that last name, as Ben Childress, whose last role was Joseph Stalin in the 2020 video game Command & Conquer Red Alert Remastered. I've heard of Command & Conquer, but I've never, never played it. We have John Kowal as Herm Gossett, who was in seven episodes of Gunsmoke at the end of his career. I've heard of Gunsmoke. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Seaman Glass as Benton, whose last role was Rocco's Trainer in the 1991 short film Birch Street Gym. Never heard of that. I mean, it's a short film. Do you ever hear of short films? No. Me neither. So this episode was almost the pilot both times. Before choosing to make the cage and before going with where no man has gone before, this episode was in consideration for being the pilot episode. They didn't go with this because they knew if they went with the episode with the intergalactic pimp and the three space hookers, they'd never make it to air. <laughs> so you just read the only notes that I took of this episode. Oh yeah? Yeah. You took that one note? Yep, that one note. This was going to be the pilot episode, and it didn't, didn't make it. So, yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I was going to surprise you and be like, look, I took a note. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
Well, I'm sorry, David. Yeah, I did look up stuff. Oh, I have another one, but oh, yeah? a secret one. Okay. And I will bring it up later. All right. But you'll probably already know it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I feel like I didn't take as many notes with this one because this one was rough, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was rough. I did watch it uh, four or five weeks ago. It's been a while. Yeah, we've been putting off this recording. <laughs> All right. We open with the Enterprise flying through space and a captain's log. The Enterprise is in pursuit of an unidentified vessel. We cut to the bridge and Sulu says, There he is, sir. Center screen. There's only one screen, Sulu. There is one screen. You don't have a center screen. I guess maybe he was talking about, you know, he has a screen on his console. The other console has a screen. I don't know. I've seen that console. There's no screen there. Maybe. I'm just saying there's one screen, Sulu. You can just say on screen. We see a small ship on the view screen trying to get away from the Enterprise. Kirk asks Spock if it's an Earth ship. Spock's not sure. Says we're getting no registration beam from it. And Scotty tells us that if it's an Earth ship, it'll overload its engines soon. The the ship changes course again. Definitely knows the Enterprise is after him. Uhura tried all communication frequencies. The ship's refusing to answer. Spock informs us that we're approaching an asteroid belt, and Kirk orders Farrell to turn on deflectors, and they actually work. The deflectors work for once. What? They work. I've never seen that happen in the entire entire time I've watched Star Trek. Yeah. Our renegade ship has also seen the asteroids, and Kirk tells Sulu to keep on him because he'll try to lose us in them. Did Han Solo rip off the whole lose them in an asteroid-filled thing from Harry Mudd? I mean... If you think about it, Star Trek, or Star Wars, was in the 70s. Yeah. Star Trek was in the 60s. Han Solo ripped off Harry Mudd. So every other sci-fi show has also done that. (laughs) So they ripped off Star Trek, too. (laughs) Just saying. Okay. Spock gets a reading on the vessel. It's a small Class J cargo ship. Also, its engines are superheating. Way to bury the lead, Spock. (laughs) Kirk tries to get a warning to them, but their engines blow. The ship drifts into the asteroid belt. The only way they can make it is if the Enterprise puts their deflector screen around the ship. According to Scotty, they're too far away, and that'll overload their engines, too. Kirk orders to do it anyway, and sends Spock and Scotty to the transporter room. They can't hold them for long, and our engines are starting to overload. And that ends our teaser. Okay. So, you know what this reminds me of? What? And I know it's actually taking from this episode, and not this episode taking from it. The episode in Next Generation, I want to say season one, maybe two, or three. Where they, uh, it's almost like Romeo and Juliet, where the guy, the smuggler is helping the guy and the girl that are in love. Okana. Yeah, Okana. The outrageous Okana. That one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you remember the beginning of that episode? I don't. It was pretty much exactly like this. (laughs) (laughs) Star Trek ripping off itself. Yeah. But I think it was season one. And a lot of season one, Next Generation, was just, like, remaking the original series stuff. Not remaking, but... I get what you're saying. Because they did that episode, uh, The Naked Now, where they remade The Naked Time, and everyone hated it. So they're like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. 
but I guess they did a little bit. <laughs> you know Harry Moe was actually supposed to be in an episode of Star Trek Next Generation? Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. I honestly, I hate this Harry Mudd. Yeah, I hate Harry Mudd so much. Uh, oh. He's okay in Discovery. Like, I like Rain Wilson's portrayal, <laughs> but Harry Mudd in the original and animated series is the worst. Did you watch that short trek? I did. Yeah. He, he kept redoing time to get it right to take over Discovery. Oh, no, that was an episode. The short trek was like he would, like, Pretend to be a different bounty hunter, turn himself in, and then Starfleet would be like, this is a Harry Mudd android. This isn't Harry Mudd. So, like, he kept, like, collecting the bounty on himself. Uh, yeah, that, that was a fun time. Uh, <laughs> David does not think it was a fun time. No, I, I, I'm actually, I was planning on re-watching that episode <laughs> just for that pod, for this podcast, uh, but I didn't. I'm, All right. Yeah. I thought about it, not for the podcast, but just like after it, just to get a palate cleanser. But I feel like I'm starting to watch too much Star Trek. Me too. Like Please. I watch every original series episode like three times. And one of those times is always like I'm going scene by scene and dissecting it. Yeah, you after you you dissect everything, you just can't get back to it. <laughs> That's why Strange New reviewing Strange New Worlds is so great. By the way, we review Strange New Worlds on our Patreon, and it's not this in depth. We just watch the episode, turn on the <laughs> mics, and we talk. It's a fun time. You should check us out on Patreon and argue. <laughs> Sometimes we argue. <sighs> All right, let's get back into the episode. We see the Enterprise flying through an asteroid field. We cut to the bridge, and a voice from the engine room tells us that temperatures are passing the danger line. According to Farrell, our deflector screens weakening. We hear an electrical noise like a fuse blowing, and a light goes out. Sulu tells us that that's one of our lithium crystals. Kirk calls the transporter room, trying to light a fire under their rears. <laughs> But Scotty says since they're not answering, there's nothing to look lock onto. Another crystal blows, and Uhura gets a distress signal. Kirk tells Scotty, and we cut to Spock's hands operating the transporter controls. Don't know why it's not Scotty's hands. I don't know. So, do you notice in this episode, it's not dilithium? I did notice that. It's lithium. Uh, this is apparently the last time they call them lithium crystals, and after this, it's dilithium. Yep, that was a note I that had. That was your note? No, that wasn't my secret one. Okay. I did take more than one <laughs> note. Nice. Yes. Good job. And onto our transporter pad beams one Harcourt Fenton Mud Space Pirate. Mud asks where he is, and McCoy tells him he's on the Enterprise. By the way, McCoy's in the transporter room. I mean, didn't mention that before. I mean, all doctors should be in there. Crusher's I mean, it makes sense. In there. Is she? The doctor on Voyager's usually in there. Huh. I mean, not for the first few seasons, I mean, though, because he was stuck in the medical bay. Well, Paris was a lot of times. If they didn't have to escape really fast. Paris sure. Was in there. But because, I mean, if it's like they're rescuing a something from crashing or it's like a really close call on transporting 
the doctor's always in there. Okay. I'm not saying it's weird McCoy's in there. I'm just establishing he's in the scene. Just so later, people aren't like, whoa, McCoy was in the scene? All right, Mud says it's a beautiful ship and introduces himself as Captain Leo Walsh. Spock asks how many more are on the ship. Walsh answers a few. Scotty is like, dude, your ship's about to be destroyed. We need to get them over here. Walsh claims they didn't know if the Enterprise is friendly, but the others should be in position. Back on the bridge, another crystal blows. Kirk wants to know how many we've boomed aboard. Scotty says one, but we're locked under three more. Cut to the transporter room. The transporter's acting weird. It's taking longer because the ship's operating on battery power. What kind of batteries do you think the Enterprise... D's. D's? (laughs) Enterprise D's. Scotty calls McCoy sir, which is weird because they're both the same rank. That was something I noticed. But, well, yeah. I was going to say, well... And Scotty, and we later are going to learn that Scotty's, like, the higher-ranking one because he's second officer. So it doesn't make sense that McCoy's, or Scotty's calling McCoy sir. (laughs) Maybe he's just calling him sir because he's a guy. I mean, you should call him doctor, though. I mean, I call my son sir. That's different. (laughs) I call everybody sir. Okay. I think I've even called you sir. (laughs) And... You're not older. Yeah, but we're Southern. Scotty's Scottish. Are you saying Scottish is the same as Southern? Not necessarily. (laughs) But isn't McCoy Southern? Yes. McCoy is Southern. So it should be the other way around. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Anyways, back to Kirk, we see the ship destroyed on the view screen. In the transporter room, we see three women beamed aboard, weirdly posed for people who were just on a ship about to be destroyed. Kirk wants a report from the transporter room, but Scotty and McCoy are staring like idiots, and Spock, while not idiot-like, is also staring and not responding. I, this episode, (laughs) like, oh, the women are beautiful. Like, I hate how Star Trek does that. Like, yeah, the scene, like, they did it with, uh... On the pilot episode with Pike. Uh, yeah, with Vina. With Vina. And she's just like, they just pan the camera closer and like make it kind of fuzzy. Like, you probably know like the actual terms and everything. Yeah, zoom in. And. Pan. <laughs> I don't know. But like, it's stupid. Like, you don't like go all fuzzy-eyed when you see someone that's beautiful. But we find out they're on super-powered beauty drugs. <laughs> that's placebos. <laughs> on the bridge, Farrell informs Kirk that, they're, that they've cleared the asteroid belt, and Kirk orders the deflector screen off for to conserve power. Kirk's still trying to get an answer from the transporter room. He asks, how many did we get off? None yet. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty finally answers they got four, and Kirk orders the captain of the other vessel to his quarters whether he can walk or not. (laughs) Kirk's pissed. When is he not? (laughs) (laughs) Spock leads Walsh and the three women out of the transporter room into the hallway. Every male crew member stops what they're doing to stare, including the cameraman apparently, because the camera lingers for a while. I almost thought I was watching a Fast and Furious movie. Uh, they enter the turbo lift while Walsh is saying some crap about men being men, even on a starship. In the turbo lift, Walsh points out that Spock is part Vulcanian. 
Oh, that was my secret note. <laughs> that he is yet to actually be called a Vulcan. He was close to being uh, called a Vulcan. Did they not it's... call him Vulcan in the Corbomite maneuver? No. Dang. He's a Vulcanian. In Vulcanian. That was my secret note. That he's a Vulcanian. I'm sorry, I'm beating you to all your notes. Yeah, you take better notes than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so the women have no effect on him. As they exit the turbo lift, Eve starts to apologize for Mud, but he cuts her off. This is our first indication that Eve is not just an eye candy, but an actual character. Yes, yes. They walk through another hallway and into Kirk's quarters. Kirk's about to lay into Walsh, but sees the woman and gets extremely distracted. And no kitchen in this in his quarters. No kitchen in his quarters. <laughs> Strange new worlds. Right? Strange new worlds. Ch check out our Patreon. I'll I'll stop plugging it now. But Pike gets a quarter a kitchen. <laughs> he asks if this is the crew, and Walsh answers that they're not his crew. They're his cargo. <laughs> Uh, and that's act one. Feels like that was a short act. Yeah. Yeah. It was way better than uh than the last the, the last one with Bailey and <laughs> Bailey. Freaking Bailey. <laughs> act two opens with a captain's log and the start date is thirteen twenty nine point one. But in the teaser the start date was thirteen twenty nine point eight. So how did we go back in time? <laughs> I thought you said you don't pay attention to those. I do when I'm taking notes for the episode. I don't when I'm just watching an episode. Uh, I'm not a historian. I don't know those things. So off mic, Dave and I were talking about start dates, and I told him I don't pay attention. <laughs> All right, so we're in Kirk's quarters. The woman leave, and Kirk is alone with the Walsh, and Walsh immediately tries to spin things in a way to blame Kirk. I didn't know you were a starship. Of course I tried to evade you. You exceeded your authority, but Kirk's not having it. There's going to be a hearing on Walsh's actions. You're a hard-nosed one, Captain. And you're a liar, Mr. Walsh. <laughs> then security escorts Walsh out to be confined to his quarters. We cut to the bridge where Sulu and Farrell are entering from the turbo lift. Farrell is just too love-stricken to function. Sulu's... Reminding him that he's on duty, so he needs to get his head straight. Sulu clearly also very into these women, which I point out because in Star Trek Beyond, when they made Sulu gay, George Takei didn't like that decision because even though he's gay, Sulu was never written or played that way. And I think this scene is a prime example of that, that Sulu is straight, even if George Takei is not. Right. Takei, not Takei. Sorry. Right. Okay. So yeah. To me, though, so this is just me personally, even if someone's beautiful, you can tell no matter which way you swing. Yeah. So, I mean, you would think it would affect everybody. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they showed, like, how these having these women on the ship, like, affected the women on board. Like, what does Ahura think of the situation? Yeah. Yeah. But they don't do that. <laughs> I know, because they're sexist back in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Scotty walks over to the captain's chair where Spock's sitting to update him on the ship's problems. They only have one lithium crystal left and it has a hairline fracture and they can't run a bypass circuit because they blew out the converter assembly. And hearing that, Spock calls Kirk to the bridge. 
Now we're in Walsh's quarters, which is actually just Kirk's quarters with the furniture removed. The women are already there, and Walsh is doing a few things here. He's suddenly trying to get the guards to leave, which they won't. He's coaching the women on what to do, but trying to play it off as innocent to the guards. Don't lie. Not that you have any reason to. Don't take a medical exam, because you're all so healthy, so you don't need a medical exam. <laughs> Eve wants to know how they're gonna get out of this with no ship and going the wrong direction. She also lets slip that Leo's first name is Harry. Harry quickly hushed her and reminds them that his name is supposed to be Leo Walsh. <laughs> Leo. Leo. Uh, back on the bridge, Kirk is there now and Spock and Scotty basically update him on what we just saw Scotty update Spock on. Uh, the crystals can't hold up for much longer, so Kirk asks for options and Spock tells Kirk about lithium mining on Rigel 12. It's less than two days away, and they order Farrell to set a course. Also, Scotty and Kirk call Harry a jackass, which I'm surprised they got away with in the 60s <laughs> on television. Yeah. Rigel. We're going back to Rigel. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Rigel 12? Rigel 12, not Rigel 7. Or Rigel 15 <laughs> or 26. I think this should be a, uh, a deal. A Rigel counter? A Rigel counter. <laughs> For everybody that has been keeping count on our red shirt deaths, we are at two. <laughs> and this is episode three, four? Five, uh, this is the fourth, the fourth we've done. Fourth. I can't keep track. <laughs> it's hard when the episode numbers aren't the same as the number you're doing them in. <laughs> but yeah, this is our fourth episode. <laughs> episode number four. We fade to the Enterprise flying through space. We get a captain's log, and now we're at Harry's hearing. Spock tells Harry to state his name for the record, which leads to a fun little bit. Did you notice the captain's log did not add any new information? Yeah, that's why I didn't mention it. Because <laughs> the last last episode we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Spock tells Harry to state his name for the record, which leads to this fun little bit. State your name for the record. Leo Francis Walsh. Incorrect. Your correct name. Gentlemen, surely you're not going to take the word of a soulless mechanical device over that of a real flesh and blood man. State your correct name for the record. Harry Mudd. Incorrect. Harcourt Fenton Mud. Did the voice of the computer sound familiar to you? Uh, is it number one? It is number one. The computer was voiced by Majel Barrett, who we last saw as number one in the cage. <laughs> She'll also go on to voice the Enterprise D's computer. Oh, uh, what about uh, Voyager's computer? Yeah, like, it's the same computer. And Deep Space Nine. Okay, so all the Federation computers, it's her voice, but like, it's the station or. Like, a Bajor computer, it's a different voice. But she's, huh. like, the runabout and the Defiance computer. Right. She's basically all the computers in the 90s. <laughs> so what about Enterprise? I don't think the Enterprise from Enterprise had a voice. I don't think they did. Yeah, I don't think that computer had a voice. Her, the last thing she voiced the computer in was the 2009 movie. She passed away after that. I mean, they could use her voice still digitally. 
Yeah, sometimes. Like, they they redid it for the last season of Picard for the Enterprise D. I mean, they can put uh, Carrie Fisher in an entire movie without her Okay, but, like, your estate has to be like, yes, this is okay. I know. I wish they probably would, like... The Roddenberries are still very involved in Star Trek. Uh, yeah, because uh, isn't there one, like a Rod Roddenberry or something? Yeah, that... yeah he still produces. He, he's Major Barrett's and Gene Roddenberry's son, so yeah, that tracks. Anyway. Anyways, <laughs> Buck asked about any past offenses, and we basically learned that Mud is a space pirate with a rap sheet a mile long. So, fun fact. If you read all the, like, if you actually listen to all those, those are all just bureaucratic <laughs> nonsense. Like, flying without a flight plan, it's the galaxy. <laughs> like, are you saying, oh, I'm going to fly to Rigel 6, then 7. If you're an Earth ship, yeah. Then 10, and then flying with it without a license. Like, come on, dude. It's the galaxy. Hey, Galaxy has laws. But does the Enterprise uh, file a flat plan? Yes. All the time? Yes. Every single time. <laughs> like every it's single a starship. Move, every single move they do. Think about it as if, like, as like, the Enterprise is like a submarine in the ocean. And, like, mud is like a ship. Sailing through the ocean. I thought you were going a completely different direction <laughs> there. But <laughs> so like the Enterprise is the military, so they don't have to like do all the things that like a civilian on a boat has to do. I mean a civilian on a boat can just go wherever they want to go. Not necessarily. Like you can't I'm... be like going through international waters or like smuggling you crap. International waters? Not if you're smuggling crap. Anyways, that's, just that's where you smuggle the crap because <laughs> nobody can get you there. It's international. Whatever. It's Harry Mudd's a back. space pirate. <laughs> Whatever. Let's get back. Let's get back to the scene. <laughs> Rap sheet a mile long. Smuggling, buying ships with counterfeit currency, transporting stolen goods, attacking starships via space whale. Stealing a uh, space whale? Is that what you said? Just saying if you're paying attention. Oh, I was like... That was a discovery reference. Yeah. He was apparently sentenced to psychiatric treatment, where, according to the computer, the effectiveness was disputed. Uh, Kirk's charging mud with galaxy travel without a flight plan, without an identification beam, failure to answer a starship signal, and operation of a vessel without a master's license. Then Mud tries to spin a tale about Leo Walsh, who was supposed to captain the vessel before passing away, and mid-ramble, the women activate their superpowers, which is weird. Until now, they've been playing it like the women just have this magnetism all the time. But now, everyone was acting normal until the women started staring at the men and causing their horn dog gene. <laughs> stupid. It is so stupid. <sighs> Kirk's done with Mud's crap and asks where they're going and why. And Mud answers honestly, Ophiacus 3 to Wives Settlers, which throws Kirk off guard. Wait, what? Kirk asks the computer for data on the witnesses, comes up with nothing, orders a sensor probe for unusual reading, 
None with the women, but the men have very unusual readings, rising temperature, shortness of breath, stuff like that. <laughs> Kirk asks if the women came voluntarily, and it turns out, yeah, they're all from places where there's no men, so they want to be married off to settlers. Then Eve speaks up because she's fed up because she wants to get married, and they're being taken in the wrong direction. <laughs> Kirk ends the hearing, and Eve's throwing a fit, trying to latch onto Kirk. What about us? Can I say? Yeah. You keep saying the wrong direction when it's space. You just kind of... Okay, well, if you're going this way, and the planet's this way, it's the wrong direction. Yeah, but you can just kind of, you know... Still, they're not headed that way. Anyway. Alright, yeah. Eve's trying to latch onto Kirk. What about us? You need to help us. Then the last crystal goes out, and Eve's still throwing her tantrum. Kirk's got bigger things to deal with. <laughs> Life support is running on batteries. Kirk orders Spock to contact the miners. They'll need the crystals immediately. The lithium batteries are running low. <laughs> they all leave the room except for Mud, the woman, and multiple security guards, I'm going to point out. Because uh, um, Mud's new plan is to marry the woman to the rich lithium miners and try to take over the ship, which he clearly says... In front of multiple security guards. If this is Starfleet's finest, maybe Redshirts deserve to die. Yeah. Did, didn't even report it. <laughs> so does this count as a Redshirt death? No, because no Redshirts die. Or, I these, mean... This, these security guards just deserve it. <laughs> yeah, they do. Alright, and that's the end of Act 2. Captain's Log, Stardate 1330.1. Position 14 hours out of Rigel 12. We're on auxiliary impulse engines. Fuel low, barely sufficient to achieve orbit over the planet. Lithium replacements are now imperative. The effect of Mudd's women on my crew continues to grow, still totally unexplained. Harry Mudd is confined to his quarters under guard. After the captain's log, we cut to the medical scanner on the wall in sickbay and pan over to McCoy. Ruth is at the door and asks to come in. And you would think that after being told not to take a medical exam, you'd want to avoid sick bay. Yeah. Why do they? Why does she go in there? I think she's trying to get information out of McCoy about the miners. Oh. Anyways, McCoy says she can come in, and there's an extra named Connors that McCoy kicks out. Now I'm gonna stop on Connors for a second because. So far, he has been in every episode we've done, starting with the second pilot. He was played by Eddie Paskey, and in Where No Man Has Gone Before, he was in a blue jumpsuit. In the Corbinite Maneuver, he was a redshirt, and now he's in a green jumpsuit, but finally gets a name. He'll show up more throughout the series, mostly as a redshirt, I think. Huh. Does he ever die? I don't think so, but maybe. He might. Uh, back on topic. Ruth is using her sexist superpowers to get information out of Bones when she walks by the medical scanner and it lights up and starts beeping. Now McCoy's intrigued. You can see he's torn between his attraction for this woman and trying to figure out why the scanner is doing that. He asks her to walk by it again because he promises it's not a medical exam. And she probably thinks if you say gullible real slow, it sounds like orange. It probably does. <laughs> she gets what she needs out of him. Uh, that there's three. There's. <laughs> she gets what she needs out of him. That there's three miners and they're all 
healthy, although there's no way he could possibly know that. McCoy asks if she has any weird perfume or anything radioactive on her. <laughs> she says no and leaves. Why is she wearing radioactive perfume? No, he's asking just because he's trying to figure out like what might have caused the beeping of the scanner. Kirk walks into his quarters and Eve is lying on the bed. She says, I hope you don't mind, Captain. And he's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do mind. Uh, she comes up with some story that she had to run in because she was taking a walk and the crew wouldn't stop staring at her. Really, she's just there to distract Kirk for mud. Kirk apologizes and she says something like, they're probably just lonely. I'm lonely. You're probably lonely. Let me use my superpowers to seduce you. Yeah. There's a really good line in, in here where she says, I read once a commander has to act like a paragon of virtue. I never met a paragon. <laughs> Neither have I. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's trying to pull him into a kiss, but Kirk's like, I do not consent to this, and breaks it off. And she gets mad because she likes him. But Mud put her up to this, and she just can't go through with it, and storms out. Do you remember Scout Camp? Be more specific. Uh, the uh, sexual harassment training? Yeah. This is my no-no school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was nothing. You should have seen the sexual harassment training I had to go when I worked at Hale. I like okay. actually had to go through like an online class for it <laughs> every summer, <laughs> which I was glad to do. Like I don't want to like... Didn't want to cross a line or anything. Right. I say that I ended up marrying one of my co-workers at camp. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I married one of my co-workers from work. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Anyways, cut to Magda in a hallway walking to Mud's quarters. Ruth's giving Mud the info he, she got from McCoy. Plus, they've been alone for three years. Magna gives Mud their names. Eve comes in and she's pissed at Mud, but all of a sudden she's not feeling so good. Clearly, whatever this is has something to do with the mystery of Mud's women. Now we're on the bridge. Kirk is reprimanding Farrell because he's sick of having to repeat himself because his crew's going girl crazy. Farrell is getting dangerously close to becoming a Bailey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad Bailey went with Baylock. Yeah. Uh, Scotty tells Kirk they'll get there, but it'll be a rough orbit. Kirk and McCoy start discussing the mystery behind the females' superpowers, and they've got nothing. But it can't be aliens, because aliens that are this smart would figure out how to make the medical scanner not go bleep, as McCoy says. Yeah. Back at Mud's quarters, they've acquired a communicator and the right frequency to contact the miners on Rigel 12. We see a shot of the Enterprise approaching... Rigel on the bridge. Power's still dropping, and Spock tells us we can maintain orbit for three days and seven hours. Kirk orders Ahura to contact the miners. Also, she's still wearing gold in this episode. I didn't realize how long she wore a gold shirt before she switched to red. Hmm. Yeah. In Mud's quarters, we learned that the women's superpowers are pill-based. <laughs> <laughs> he can't find them because he stashed them away in case he was searched. Ruth and Magna's faces are completely changing. Their prosthetics are convincing. Meanwhile, Eve looks exactly the same, just without nice stage lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mud finds the pills. Ruth and Magna are just about to tackle him to get to them. But he has to f convince Eve to take, take it, and she does. 
cut to Spock holding a crystal, and he inadvertently kind of gives us the message with the episode. Even burned and cracked, they're beautiful. Huh. The end of that line was destroying them was a shame, which Kirk has to remind him that four people would have died had they not destroyed them. Odd moment. Just odd moment. Kirk's doorbell rings, and in walks a couple of our miners, Childress and Gossett. Childress is all a business. I have the crystals. You need them. Kirk is ready to pay, but the miners don't want money now. Uh, they want the woman and mud to go free. And Kirk's like, how do you even know about the women? <laughs> yeah. Kirk starts to laugh at first. He'd have the upper hand in any other scenario, but he's desperate and the miners know it. Kirk tries playing the Starfleet card. A three-man operation this far out in space depends on Starfleet for cargo runs, medical care, starship protection, and Childress calls his bluff and walks in mud with the woman in tow. How did he get past the armed guard? I don't know. It it doesn't make sense. Maybe the armed guard's gone. It's still weird. He should still have a guard. Yeah. But yeah. Childress and Gossett are very into Mud's women. Kirk tries to keep control of the situation, but then the lights flicker and Mud calls him out on the fact that he'll have to make a deal and he has no other options. And there's the end of Act 3. The end of Act 3. Act 3. Home stretch now. Uh-oh. <laughs> it feels like this is going fast. It feels like this is going to be our, like, our shortest episode. I don't think... It's because there's not really much to input. Yeah. That, that's probably it. Yeah. We need more tangents. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm almost tangent out. Yeah. For the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Act 4 opens with an exterior shot of the miners' quarters on Rigel 12. Kirk, Spock, and Mud beam down to the planet and walk into Childress's quarters. Kirk accepted defeat. Uh, you win. Now give me the crystals. Childress shrugs him off to go flirt with Eve. And I'm like, dude, you got your space hookers. Now give them the crystals before people start dying up there. <laughs> uh, Childress points out to Eve that the wind is really bad. You can get lost just a few steps from your door. We hear an electric crackling sound, and Childress says that it's a magnetic storm, meaning the wind's really going to get bad out there. Can I say... Yes, you can. I think at this part, they're dancing? Yeah, they're about to start dancing. Okay, so next part. They're about to start dancing? Yeah. There's no music. <laughs> is there no music? There is no music. <laughs> what are they dancing to? I don't know. And like the sound that you hear on the TV is just like an eerie sound. <laughs> like, I thought this was a horror film. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Once we get more into the original series, there's a lot of like horror elements to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Ruth and Gossett are dancing. Magda and Benton start dancing, so Childress asks Eve to dance. She says no and starts coughing, apologizes, says it must be the dust. He gets angry and goes over to Ruth, pushes Gossett away, and starts dancing with her. Gossett. I, I wouldn't have danced either because <laughs> there's no music. Yeah. Gossett, being a moron, walks over to Magda and tries to cut in. Benton, having a spine, says, no, you're not. And then there's a fight. Kirk, Spock, and Childress all jump in and try to break up the fight. Eve runs out into the storm because the miners are fighting over the other woman and not her. Kirk runs out after her. Captain's log. Have transported aboard the Enterprise to implement search with infrared scanners and sensing system. Magnetic storms on the planet's surface are cutting down speed and efficiency of our equipment. 
Search now in progress for three hours, 18 minutes. On the bridge, we're trying to search for Eve with scanners, uh, but having no luck. The storm's ionizing the atmosphere and making it more difficult, and Scotty points out that it's draining more energy and we need the crystals. Scotty spends a lot of time on the bridge. Shouldn't he be taking care of the warp core or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean... I don't, I don't think we have an engineering section yet. But in all <laughs> honesty, uh, Jordy spent a lot of time outside of engineer too. Yeah, but he didn't spend nearly as much time on the bridge. You didn't often see Jordy on the bridge. He did sometimes, but not always. Well, the later seasons, he was on the bridge, but then there was also an engineering section yeah. on the computers on the backside of the bridge. Yeah, but Jordy spent a lot of time like in engineering. Yeah. Scotty hasn't so far. Oh, I don't think we see engineering for the first time until the next episode. Kirk gets angry. I don't have your dang crystals. I screwed up. Are you happy? Her reports that they're losing comms with the miners and that Eve and Childress are still missing. Kirk apologizes to Scotty and Scotty says we have five hours le of power left, sir. Childress finds Eve, brings her to his quarters, lays her on the bed and passes out on a bench. We get another captain's log. The Enterprise has 43 minutes of power left. On the bridge, they get a heat signature coming from Childress's quarters and Kirk orders for Mud to meet him in the transporter room. Cut to Childress's quarters, Eve's cooking, Childress wakes up and immediately starts being a butt. I liked how it was before you cleaned it. I do my own cooking. Then he says, quote, now I have not laid a hand on you. Remember that. What kind of response is he expecting? Aw, oh, you're my hero. You didn't rape me. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. A 60s response. <laughs> yeah. Eve takes a shot at his ego. After giving him his food, he says, I guess I'm supposed to sit, taste it, roll my eyes. Ooh, female cooking again. <laughs> so he takes it, rolls his eyes, and acts like his cooking's better. She points out there's so much gunk on the pants that she couldn't scrape it off. He says, well, there's no good water out here. And she asks, why don't you just hang the pants outside and have the sand blast it? Which is a good idea, because cut to him hanging his pants outside so the safe can blast it. <laughs> now, if you have enough time to go and hang your pants out to have them blasted, why are you not calling the Enterprise to say you found her and come get your crystals? Yeah. Childress is just dumb. Yeah, very dumb. <laughs> uh, Childress walks back inside and Evie's playing cards. Uh, the cards are circles, which is a cool detail. Yeah. Unfortunately, they forget that in the rest of Star Trek, but it's a good detail. No, they have circle cards. Do they? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I know in Next Generation, they're just using normal playing cards, not circles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've seen I've Yeah, seen there might be circles cards. in other places. Yeah. I've just never noticed them before. The Next Generation, they're using regular cards, I think, because... Riker seems a little nostalgic. Like, yeah. Also, like, how are you going to, like, do the bridge and, like, shuffle cards and deal them out with circles? I mean, I bet It'd be Data more difficult. Could Data could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Brent Spider might have a problem with that, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he asked if she's playing solitaire. She says, no, it's double jack. And he says, she should put that card there. And she tells him, that's not how double jack works. And he says, she's a terrible company. Dude, you're the one who's telling her how to play a game that you obviously don't know how to play. Right. And she's the terrible company? Come on, dude. He also calls her ugly and asks what happened to her looks. Dude, she looks the same. Huh. The lighting's just different. <laughs> yeah. 
he gets angry and starts to go on about the kind of woman he could buy with his crystals. And Kirk walks in immediately. Childress, unprovoked, says, I didn't touch her. Now, I don't know about you, but if I walk into a room and a guy says, I didn't touch her, I'm going to think that he touched her. Yeah, I would immediately just start yeah. throwing hands. Start throwing hands. Kirk makes Mud tell Childress about the Venus drug, how it makes men more muscular and masculine, and how it makes women more feminine, and how the woman took it before meeting the miners. Childress wants to know if it means that the others look like she does. Eve says yes, but I would say no. The others actually look different when they're not on the truck. Uh, Kirk says the others got married through subspace radio marriage. Childress attacks Mud and Kirk pushes him back. Uh, I don't know why you're upset. It's your partners who got the really raw deal. Yeah. Uh, Childress is about to start monologuing about how hard mining is and how they almost died. And how, and how now that they have the good life, they get ugly wives. Yeah. Man, I'm glad I didn't live through the 60s. Yeah, no, I'm glad. Although I, I probably would have had it good. I'm a white man. I probably wouldn't <laughs> have been watching Star Trek. <laughs> I probably would have been watching Three's Company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was that a 60s show? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Come and knock on our door. I think that was a 90s show. I thought it was a 70s, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, they have bell bottoms and stuff. Hmm. We'll have to look that up later. Yeah. And Eve says they don't want wives, they want blow-up dolls. Okay, she doesn't say that, but... But she says that they want this. She takes the drug, and her hair and makeup are somehow magically done, even though she just took red jello. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. Kirk says, quite a woman, eh? Childress says, it's fake. The drug dig it, did it. And Kirk says, nope, self-confidence. That was jello. <laughs> now, Kirk's done with this crap and wants the crystals, and he wants them now. He calls Spock on the communicator, turns Childress with a search party, and Childress gives them freely. And wants Eve to stay, Eve does. As they leave, Mud asks if they can just strand him on this planet. Search says, no, but I can be a character witness at your trial if you think it'll help. Mud says they throw the key away, which is a good bit of comedy between the two. Right. Yeah. One thing I can say about Mud in these episodes, like, good comedic timing. Like, that's the one thing I'll give him. How did he escape prison from when Discovery... I don't think he goes to prison at the end of Discovery. I think they hand him over to his wife. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So So he escapes his wife. (laughs) <laughs> we cut to the Enterprise on the bridge. Kirk and McCoy have a moment. Nothing worth mentioning. Spock comes over and gives my review of this episode. I'm happy the affair is over. A most annoying, emotional episode. <laughs> McCoy says, smack right in the heart. Oh, I'm sorry. Your heart would be here and like points to his side. Spock replies, the fact that my internal rage differs from yours, Doctor, pleases me to no end. <laughs> Kirk orders Sulu and Farrell to get us out of here, and that ends the episode. Huh. So what was your thoughts on the entire episode? This was rough. <sighs> this was rough. It was not good. It was very sexist. Yeah, it's not a very good episode. But we're going to see Mud four more times. Five if you count short tricks. Yeah, yeah. This version we'll see two more times. Uh, um, so not talking talking about Star Trek. Yeah, 
but not talking about this episode. Okay. So I'm a big TikToker. Okay. And I found a woman on TikTok <laughs> that makes songs about Star Trek. Okay. Can okay. I at least say where she's at? On yes, you, you can plug her. Okay. So it's at, and I'll just spell it out because I don't know how to say it. R-E-I-N-A-O-F-T-H-E-C-I-D. But she makes a lot of funny Star Trek content. But like their songs and stuff. Okay. Yeah. It's really cool. You guys should go check her out. All right. Uh, what I'll say about this episode is clearly they enjoyed working with the actor because they brought him back a couple times. So if, if the episode's not good, clearly they had a good relationship with the actor. And the actor was good on set. Yeah. Yeah, the actor has to be good. At yeah. Least. I mean, he played the character well. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I feel like the original series episodes are just long-winded and full of nothingness. Sometimes. Like, there are good original series episodes, but, like, this was just not one of them. Yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, join us next week when we watch The Enemy Within, the one where the first transporter clone of Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, good boy. All right. You can find me everywhere at Couch Talks Movies. And if you can't, drop the S off of movies. David, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, they can find me on TikTok at Commodore Moss. And that's it. That's all I'm... And check out David's new YouTube channel, Pops on a Budget. <laughs> Which um, I will probably stop filming for a while because I had someone move into my pop room. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> subscribe anyway. Give yeah. them your support. Yeah, <laughs> subscribe. All right, and you can find the show at Tomorrow Trek Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find us at patreon.com slash tomorrowisyesterday, where we're reviewing new episodes of Star Trek. Like, we're, we've done every episode of this season of Strange New Worlds. We post behind-the-scenes clips, us checking the mics and having conversations. We did a rant about the deal with Star Trek Prodigy. So, like, check us out on Patreon I, if you're interested. I sing a lot. <laughs> On there. <laughs> he sometimes sings during our mic checks. <laughs> All right. And until next time. Live long and don't be a Bailey. That's the wrong episode. That was don't, last be, don't be a mud. <laughs> Live long and don't be a mud. <laughs>